Welcome, you're listening to the Sentinel Speakeasy, the official podcast of the Sydney Sentinel, the independent voice of Sydney, located at sydneysentinel.com.au. I'm Peter Hackney, the editor-in-chief of the Sydney Sentinel. And I'm Features Editor Travis DeJonk, and we're your hosts for the next half hour or so of news, current affairs and discussion relating to Sydney. And this episode, we're discussing the topic of whether New South Wales has an issue with police strip searches. We speak to lawyer Samantha Lee from the Redfern Legal Centre about the issues and realities surrounding police strip searches in the state. The Redfern Legal Centre is teaming up with law firm Slater and Gordon to pursue the biggest class action in New South Wales history against the police. And in this episode, she speaks with the Sentinel about the plan. But first, let's take a look at the top headlines from sydneysentinel.com.au. And Federal Treasurer Josh Frydenberg is unapologetic about the end of JobKeeper payments to businesses, which ceased on Sunday. The JobKeeper payment, which began on the 30th of March last year in response to the economic impacts of COVID-19, provided businesses with up to $1,500 per fortnight per employee in an effort to stem job losses. Mr Frydenberg has stated on numerous occasions the payment cannot continue any further, as the government cannot keep borrowing money to fund it. Over the weekend, he pointed out that the payment was originally meant to last for six months and that the government had already extended it to 12 months. However, the Federal Treasury says that the end of JobKeeper will lead to an estimated 100,000 to 150,000 Australians joining the dole queue, on top of the 1.1 million people already there. Research by Small Business Australia indicates that Australia could see the closure of up to 100,000 businesses. Here in Sydney, there are fears that the end of JobKeeper could exacerbate homelessness and mental health issues. A report by Sydney Sentinel has found that Sydney is already experiencing a largely hidden epidemic of homelessness, with struggling business owners and employees living at their places of work, in cars or couch surfing. For more on this story, visit sydneysentinel.com.au. Eviction notices at the Northcote Estate Social Housing Complex in Surrey Hills have sparked fears that the state government is planning to redevelop or sell off the site, which comprises two large city blocks. Last month, approximately 30 residents of the state received letters informing them that their tenancies were being terminated, mostly for rent arrears. The termination notices come on top of the fact that a number of apartments within the complex are sitting empty and have been boarded up. A recent report by the Sentinel's John Moyle found at least six such apartments unoccupied and boarded up. Northcote Estate falls within the boundary of local Greens member for Newtown Jenny Leong, who has brought issues affecting the estate to the lower house on numerous occasions. She told the Sentinel the government's behaviour at Northcote was, in some cases, worse than some banks behave. Ms Leong said it was unclear at this stage whether the termination notices were just being sent to residents at Surrey Hills or if it was a wider issue. The New South Wales Department of Communities and Justice, which manages the Northcote estate, told the Sentinel that when a tenant falls into arrears, the department worked closely with them to prevent the arrears building up to unsustainable levels. The department denied that there were any plans to sell or redevelop Northcote. And staying on the issues of rent, 
The Tenants' Union of New South Wales says the price of renting a home in some parts of Sydney, particularly in the inner city and eastern suburbs, is going down. Jemima Mowbray from the union says that, that while across Sydney, the picture in terms of rent was quite varied. Rents in inner suburbs were decreasing, in contrast to the middle and outer rings of Sydney and regional New South Wales. Chris Bogosian from Ray White Erskineville attributed the situation to COVID-19. He says the lack of domestic and international visitors had forced owners previously dependent on Airbnb to rent out their properties, leading to a glut in the market. The rise in people working from home was also identified as a contributing factor, with people experiencing more freedom to move to other areas. In a Sydney Sentinel exclusive, the Sentinel's Gary Nunn has revealed that Sydney's and Australia's largest gay club, Arc Sydney, is going to reopen. The Taylor Square Institution, which has been closed for over a year due to the impacts of COVID-19 restrictions, will reopen in approximately three months' time, ARC's manager James Maverty told the Sentinel. Mr Maverty said the venue was undergoing a renovation, as was the neighbouring Bodyline Spa and Sauna, which will also reopen. ARC Sydney, which opened in 1999, has been a touchstone for, t- for Sydney's LGBTQI community over the years. Since it opened... It has played host to numerous local and international DJs, as well as superstar acts such as Britney Spears and Lady Gaga. And finally, it's the day that the people of New South Wales have been waiting for for over 12 months. Premier Gladys Berejiklian made the announcement that as of midnight on Monday 29th of March, there will be no COVID restrictions on dancing in New South Wales. The announcement is a welcome relief for both both the people and the entertainment industries in New South Wales, watched on restricted, while other cities like Brisbane and Melbourne have been able to dance and sing despite more recent outbreaks there. The announcement also signalled an end to the raft of other COVID restrictions and social distancing measures, including masks no longer being mandatory on public transport, no caps on numbers at weddings and funerals, no restrictions on singing anywhere, caps on visitors at the home being moved up to 100 people, 200 people being allowed at personal outdoor public gatherings, and 100% seated capacity at entertainment venues, including stadiums and theatres. And those are the top headlines from the Sydney Sentinel. For more news, as well as a huge range of arts and entertainment content, feature articles, interviews, opinion, and queer, vegan and youth content, visit sydneysentinel.com.au. You can also find us on Facebook at The Sydney Sentinel, on Instagram at Sydney underscore Sentinel, and on Twitter at Sydney underscore Sentinel. Well, that's a busy um, news week, isn't it, Travis? As always. Um, As always. Yeah. I like the sound of that last story. We're allowed to go out dancing again. Oh, it's it's just such a relief for so many people. I mean, I'm one of those people that, you know, uh, dancing is part of how I oh. shake off my funk, you know, so it's um, very much looking forward to it. It's been so, like, I can't believe how long it's been since it's been, it's, I have been dancing. Like forever. Where, when, where are you going? What's your first port of call? <laughs> so um, I'll, I'll be going to a, a dance a dance party at the Burdekin over the Easter weekend. I'm looking forward to that. And, and it's actually been it's just been a little over a year since I last went dancing. I think I went dancing at ARC at the end of Mardi Gras last year. And that was... Um, just before... Yeah, it's been a really oh, difficult time. Wow. I mean, yeah, not, not being able to dance is, you know, I think dancing in a way is largely symbolic of freedom, you know, and I think it's it, been it one is. of those things. It yeah. is. And look, at the, look, I can't even... It's just been so long, I can't even remember the last place I went to. Do you know what? I think it might have been... The Polly's Club, which is not not as you may know, it's not a nightclub. It's sort of a, a night that happens um, 
I think once usually once every two months at Marrickville Town Hall, right? Or sometimes the Roundhouse at Kensington, and that I think that's the last time I went out as such. Have you missed the dancing and stuff? Have you missed that kind of freedom? Do you know what? Um, I have, but it it just it's kind of like yeah, a bit missed. You know, just being going to a big venue with so many people, and I mean, you know, we've been able to do little things like go to a bar and stay seated and yeah. have a drink, but it's all very polite, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is kind of strange, you know, sitting down and you hear music playing on the, you know, at the venue you happen to be at, and you just have to go to sit down in your seat. I know, I know. So it's fantastic news. Um, and, yeah, interesting, obviously good timing for ARC. They're going to open up again soon. That's great um, news because there's been a lot of speculation about, you know, like I, I, I'm one of those people that saw them moving equipment out of there and I thought, oh, another, another one bites the dust. Over, yeah. you know? Look, there, there were a lot of rumours that they'd closed and, and, and also Bodyline, which is next mm. door, that there were actual media reports it was gone. And both of those venues are are very much um, integral, or they have been integral to the LGBT community. So Indeed, and such a part of Taylor Square energy. So, no, that'll change things in that area, which is good. Yeah. Um, and speaking of, of clubbing and dancing and those pursuits, you recently spoke to Samantha Lee from the Redfern Legal Centre, is, will you tell us about it, Travis? What, yes. What, so oh. basically, I mean, it's it's a I guess an appropriate segue in terms of um, <laughs> there's a question. There, there's been a lot of questions over the last few years um, about whether or not New South Wales has a, a really serious problem with police strip searches that have been occurring with increasing frequency. To kind of give you some sort of understanding of the, the levels that they've been operating at, uh, New South Wales Police over the last four years have paid over $100 million worth of settlements to people who feel they've been wrongly mm-hmm. strip searched. That's a lot. I mean, just imagine, four years, $100 million in settlements. And those are just the people that won their cases against the police for you yeah. know illegally strip searching them. So there seems to be that there is quite a significant issue here. Samantha Lee is a lawyer at the Redfern Legal Centre and a person who's been really watching these issues really closely and trying to change the policy and attitudes from New South Wales Police in regards to how indiscriminately they seem to be applying these laws and procedures. Redfern Legal Centre is teaming up with Slater and Gordon, uh, which is a law firm to actually create the largest class action against New South Wales police in, in our history. And history, uh, yeah. that's so, which says a lot of it, I think, about the nature of these issues. So, so we talked to Samantha Lee about these issues. Well, I'm really looking forward to hearing about this. I mean, that's that's incredible. $100 million in four years. That obviously shows there's a problem. And the fact that they're launching a, um, you know, a class action, who knows how much more money they'll have to pay out. You'd think that they'd change their culture after having to pay out the first few million dollars, wouldn't you? <laughs> Indeed, and especially after reports, you know, like numerous reports on, uh, across the news media of, you know, people, children under the age of 10 being strip searched, um, yeah. young girls being stripped, you know, like forced to s- squat and cough over a mirror. I mean, these are just un- unthinkable acts. You know? Yeah, and, and actually, we, we obviously, we mentioned that, um, you know, that this kind of thing happens at clubs and that dance mm-hmm. parties, but it also just happens anywhere. I mean, I've seen with my eyes strip search booths uh, yeah. on a concourse at Central Station <laughs> yeah. and places like that. So, well, look, let's listen, to, um, let's listen to what Samantha had to tell you. New South Wales police strip searches happen far more often than you might think, many thousands of times a year based on figures from New South Wales police itself. New South Wales police have already paid in just the last four years $113 million in settlements for more than 1,000 civil cases taken against them in relation to strip searches. 
The invasiveness of strip searches can range from the removal of the outer layers of clothing to stripping down to underwear, to being forced to strip down naked and perform the now notorious squat and cough. Over the last decade, strip searches by New South Wales police have increased and keep increasing. And there have also been increasing news reports that strip searches being conducted by New South Wales police are unlawful, in breach of their procedural guidelines, that they are unreasonably invasive and that they are causing untold damage and trauma. To talk about this, we have Samantha Lee from the Redfern Legal Centre, an organisation that has been spearheading changes to New South Wales police strip search procedures. Samantha Lee, thank you so much for joining us on the Sentinel Speakeasy. I'm glad to be here. Thank you. So my first question is, does New South Wales have a problem with police strip searches? New South Wales certainly has a problem with uh, police strip searches, or I should say the public have a problem with police conducting strip searches. Mm -hmm. uh, for example, in almost uh, there's been almost a 20-fold increase in less than 12 years in the number of strip searches occurring in New South Wales. Right. In the past four-year period, since 2015-16, there's been over 50,000 strip searches conducted in this state. It is a huge problem and it's causing an enormous amount of harm. So, look, I imagine the police would have some sort of reasoning for this, right? Like, is, is this a reasonable response to crime or is there something that possibly warrants this increase in strip search procedure? It seems very, it seems like a very extreme thing to do, right? Well, yes. Well, the statistics show that uh, the majority of strip searches are conducted on the basis of suspicion of minor drug possession. Now, that was never the intent of the legislation to allow police to conduct strip searches for minor criminal offences. And so what that tells us and what came out in a recent report by the police watchdog is that police, one, are not meeting legal thresholds in order to conduct a strip search, and two, that police don't have a, a sound understanding of the law and how to apply that law on the ground. That seems unbelievable to me, especially in, in cases where what they're basically asking the public to do is, you know, um, to strip it all. I mean, taking off the outer layer of clothing may not seem like a big thing to some people, but it's sure, it, it sure is when it's happening to you. And I believe that there are certain things like that. It, this suspicion of, just a suspicion is not enough for them legally to, to be able to do that. And also, you know, just because you happen to be at a music festival or in a place known for the sale of drugs, for example, that that's not reason enough. And they're still doing it regardless of that. Is that, is that would that be fair to say? That's right. And I think you touched upon a really important point is that uh, strip searches are a very invasive process mm -hmm. and procedure. And the people that we have coming to us, both male and female of all various uh, gender and uh, different lifestyles, mm -hmm. it causes traumatic harm for them. Both male and female are in tears when they are describing what happened to them, to me. Uh, and I can only describe it as them having similar responses to someone that has been sexually assaulted. Mm -hmm. They feel deeply embarrassed by, about what has occurred. They feel deeply violated by what has occurred. And uh, a sense of shame, which is the worst part of it all, that it absolutely wasn't their fault and that police are conducting 
thousands of unlawful strip searches across the state and this has major implications for a person's psychological and even physical well-being. The Redfern Legal Centre teamed up with researchers at UNSW, I believe, and you guys produced your own independent report into New South Wales police strip searches. And I believe that, like, there were findings that, you know, would really surprise people. I think, you know, um, most people, when they associate the use of strip searches, I guess they're, they're imagining, you know, it's just used for, for junkies or in, you know, uh, people at music festivals. And, of course, you know, like, it's a safety issue. But the reality is it's happening to people across the age spectrum, isn't it? It's, it's happening to people that it shouldn't be happening to, like children under the age of 13, I believe. And then it's, all, it's happening to, you know, young girls. It's happening to people who are older as well and 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 I guess this led to you know there's been a lot of reports in the news it's very serious and uh the law enforcement conduct commission which is the the police watchdog it it was so serious they did an inquiry that I think went for about two years and they released their findings in December last year can you summarize what those key findings were because they were shocking to me when I was reading them yeah so uh some key findings being is uh that uh, 90 over 91% of strip searches are conducted on the basis of suspected possession of um, drug possession. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as our research has proved, the majority of those uh, actual searches result in um, just the fi- either no drugs found, which is um, the majority of cases, around 63%, to wow. only minor um, drug possession being the outcome of that case. Another key finding is that Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people accounted for over 17% of all strip searches in New South Wales, although they only make up around 3% of the New South Wales population. So definitely disproportionate impact on Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. There are a whole range of age groups that are strip search. It is legal to strip search a child as young as 10 in New South Wales. Uh, We've also had an age breakdown to show that a person as old as uh, in their 70s has been strip searched. Although the evidence does show that it is mainly uh, young people aged around 18 to 25 that are disproportionately strip searched and make up around 45% of strip searches in New South Wales. But as you rightly point out, uh, there's no one that can't be targeted when it comes to a strip search and the fact that we also found out that police have quotas to meet when it comes to personal searches. Uh, In fact, in a year, they're meant to meet around 200,000 personal searches to um, to meet that quota. Uh, Then that tells us, well, strip searches are occurring and maybe they're occurring because they have to meet these quotas and Mm. what that means that police are not turning their mind to the legal thresholds they have Mm. to meet, but rather turning their mind to the statistics they need to increase in order to get their KPIs up. So this is not, so basically what that means is it's it's not really a response to crime or a response to what's in front of them, but more it's been written into their daily procedural day's worth of conduct. And so they do it because they must. And that sort of seems like, what, what would be in it for the police to do such a thing? I mean, it seems like, you know, it seems like it would be very damaging with their relationship with the public. It seems like, mm-hmm. you know, so what, what, what do you think is in it for them? 
Look, I think there's various things going on. I think there's always that tough-on-crime look that um, comes into force uh, and that politicians do push, uh, particularly during election time. So you get your arrest rates up or search rates up. But then you also have this quota system that is putting undue pressure on police to conduct thousands of strip searches across New South Wales in order to meet that quota. But I think it's important to point out that we have heard from police who actually don't want to be conducting strip searches found it quite traumatic themselves to be asking a person to take off all of their clothes and actually feel quite uh, ashamed themselves of having to make a person do that. Mm. So, I mean, if the police force were concerned about, as you said, community relations and mm. also their own police force, mm. I think they would try uh, and stop this, what I would say, a um, pandemic of, of strip searches occurring that, in New South Wales. Th- that's a great way to describe it because, I mean, I'm, I'm looking at information here and it's like in the past decade, New South Wales police have paid over $100 million in settlements. Um, it's actually, it, that was $100 million in the last four years, I realise now. If strip searches by New South Wales police are so problematic and widespread, and there's so much damning evidence against it. Why don't the public know more about it, A? And B, why isn't the government, the Law Enforcement Conduct Commission or the police themselves doing anything about it? Yes, I think it's been some uh, quite, taken quite a lot of energy to get the message out there and to inform the public about, uh, one, that strip search is occurring, two, what, what a strip search involves and mm. the fact that it involves a person taking off all of their clothes, standing naked in a strange environment, uh, sometimes in front of one or two police officers uh, and are not being able to contact someone. That mm. is what a strip search involves. Mm. Uh, and to actually let the public know about how the laws are letting particularly young people down, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people down, when it comes to protecting them from this sort of behaviour, I mean, you would think, I, I keep saying, in, in um, you know, we're talking about sexual assault quite frequently at the moment. Uh, we're talking about how people are being let down by the system and having to be exposed to these terrible incidences that can traumatise um, particularly young people. Mm. And so why on earth does a law allow a police officer to order a child as young as 10 to strip naked in front of two or one adult with no support, with them being in tears. Uh, Mm. How on earth is that still happening today? I think it is barbaric. I think it's an antiquated piece of legislation. I think it's damaging. And Mm. when we look back on this period of time, we should surely think what on earth were we doing? There's no other employment in New South Wales, government employment, that allows the adult to direct a child to take off their clothes. Uh, As I said, this just needs to change. Yeah, indeed. And especially when when the conduct itself seems to be in in really gross violation. Now, I've seen some um, evidence over the years. This is an issue that is is quite close to my heart and um, one that I've followed closely. I've seen people have released their own videos of their strip searches happening and stuff. I've seen people being strip searched Mm. in those tunnels in uh, Mm. Central Station with, you know, in full view of the public walking past while they've got their pants down and they've Mm. got a a cop with their hand inside their underwear. I've seen it. 
And I just think it just seems absolutely barbaric, but also like just unimaginable that such things are, are happening um, mm. and there's evidence of it and there is no change. So um, I believe, so the Law Enforcement Conduct Commission's um, inquiry into this is, you know, was absolutely damning. The report was damning in relation to strip searches, but they don't actually have the power to prosecute. And that's, I guess, where you, you come in. You're collaborating with another legal firm, is that right, to create a class action in regards to strip searches. Tell us a bit about that. Yes, that's right. We're partnering, I should say, with Slater and Gordon Law Firm to uh, initiate a class action against New South Wales Police for conducting uh, numerous unlawful strip searches. Mm -hmm. We're still calling for people to register for that class action and the number is 1800 568723. That's 1-800-568-723. Seven two three. So we're looking for people that have been strip searched all across New South Wales by um, the police. And what that class action will do is to seek damages for those who have been harmed by strip searches and mm -hmm. to seek uh, financial compensation for those people. We would hope through the class action that one, it uh, is a form of legal recourse for those that have been traumatised by this horrific process, but also that it will shed a light on this awful procedure and just how damaging it is in the hope that it will change procedure and put pressure on to change the law here in New South Wales. Yeah, right. So, I mean, so it's not necessarily something specific about law change, but more about, I guess, almost dropping a bit of an atom bomb on the police to go, hey, you know, wake up, this has to stop. Is that Would that be fair to say? That's right. And as you point out the, at the beginning, uh, police are already paying out millions in compensation. Usually Hundreds of millions. Unbelievable. Yeah. In, yes, that's right. In regards to um, unlawful police conduct and what police really should be doing instead of just paying out settlements is to learn from systemic problems that are occurring on the ground and change the practice. Don't just keep paying out money to actually look and reflect on, on the harm that's being caused and, and change what's happening on the ground to prevent such um, cases being brought in the future. I wanted to ask you too, since, well, just before we move on to my next question, I wanted to ask about if somebody is, let's say, um, one of our listeners today, if they're involved in a strip, strip search by New South Wales Police, what is something, what advice would you give them in handling that situation? Because there's some really key advice here in terms of making sure that, you know, it, it, any future action that you may choose to take is, mm. is viable. So would you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, thank you. It's a good question. And what I mean, it's easy for me to say here in my safe environment mm. to speak up for yourself against police officers. It's mm. very difficult on the ground when you are confronted with a, by a police officer who is directing you to take off your clothes. Mm. If anything, the only thing I would like people to take away is that for you to say to the police officer, one, for them to turn on their body-worn video footage. Mm -hmm. Once that body-worn video footage is turned on, you'll see a light that says it's turned on, to then say within that uh, little speaker and uh, camera that you do not consent to the search. 
if that's all you can do, that is really good. And I must say, in those circumstances, that is probably the best thing you're going to be able to get out because it is so intimidating. Police, unfortunately, may still require you to undergo a strip search. Our advice is that you don't resist because things will only get worse for mm. you. But you can ask to take a friend or relative with you who might be there at the time. That is within the legislation, but a lot of police officers don't know that, unfortunately. Mm. If you are 17 or under, then you are allowed to contact, the police are required to contact a parent or guardian before they conduct the strip search. Yeah. So those are some key issues to know. Once you have been strip searched, it will be traumatic. It's best to go and, and be with a friend, call a friend or a relative if you were injured at all, to take mm -hmm. photos of the injury, mm -hmm. to actually somehow record even in your voice recording on your mm -hmm. phone mm -hmm. what just happened, where it happened, what time it happened, and if you know the names of the police officers or mm. police station that was involved. Thank you. The takeaways there are make sure that you have it noted either through the body camera or to the police themselves that you do not consent to the search, that there is, um, you, you can't really do much. You kind of have to, you can you cannot consent, but you, you, you still have to comply. And then you just document as much as possible afterwards. Um, because yeah. one of the things I know that police do is like they have this very forceful way of kind of bamboozling you into it. And I've spoken to a number of people who, you know, mm. they, they went along with everything because they didn't expect it to escalate mm. to a strip search. And by the time they, before they knew it, they'd already consented. And, and so uh, thank you so much for outlining those things. Um, now back to the class action case you're about to do with Slater and Gordon. You're looking for people who have had interactions with the New South Wales police in regards to strip searches. And um, I'm just curious, so this, this seems like it's going to be maybe, am, am I right in saying it's the biggest class action taken against the police in uh, maybe in, in history, at least recent history? Yes, there have been class actions um, before in, in New South Wales. There was mm -hmm. one uh, some years ago now in regards to bail, but that involved mm -hmm. a fairly uh, uh, not as wide group of people as um, strip search, as this strip search class action. Mm -hmm. um, so, yes, it will be one of the bigger class actions against a New South Wales police. And for that reason alone, we hope that it does bring awareness to this issue and, and the problems surrounding the issue and the law. I have a final question for you, and that's, let's just say, you know, okay, this class action goes ahead. If you win, it'll be a big win uh, against New South Wales Police and also hopefully will lead to a dramatic policy change and procedural change. But what are the implications if you lose? What would a loss mean for the future of pursuing justice and change regarding New South Wales police researchers? Look, I think we do have a good case to be heard and brought forward, and it's, it's a case worth hearing. It's, I think even commencing this process has been very positive. It has allowed people that have been strip searched to potentially tell their story. We have been able to take instructions from a number of people who have been deeply traumatised by this procedure and they have actually come out in the media and told their story, which has helped others to also heal from this process and uh, begin to look at where the law can be changed. So no matter what, which direction the class action goes, I, I think the process has been very positive and has uh, opened the public to this very traumatic and invasive process. 
Yeah, well, it's been a long time coming, hasn't it? I know you've been on top of this issue for many years now, and um, I wish you all the best with it. And I thank you for your time today speaking to us on the Sentinel Speakeasy. All the details that Samantha has just talked about, we will have those details and links in our podcast as well as in the news article on the sydneysentinel.com.au. So thank you so much again, Samantha Lee from the Redfern Legal Centre, and we wish you all the best with your class action, and we hope this gets a lot of people um, over to what you're doing. Have a good day. Thanks so much for your interest in the in the actual subject matter. Uh, my pleasure. Bye. Bye. And that was Samantha Lee from the Redfern Legal Centre speaking to you, Travis, about the issue of police strip searches in New South Wales. And congratulations, a very, um, very interesting and important interview there. Really important issues there, Peter, uh, and ones that I'm happy that the Sentinel is... Uh, at the head of, I believe we're the first people to really cover this issue and, and the, the class action that's happening. Uh, and for anyone who would like more information, there will be inf- there will be links in our podcast notes and we'll also be featuring the links on uh, a story eventually when it comes up on the sydneysentinel.com.au. Yeah, there'll be a wider feature written by you at sydneysentinel.com.au in the coming days uh, and of course you're also welcome to contact the Redfern Legal Centre directly because they are they are interested in hearing from people who have been uh, strip searched illegally. Well that wraps us up for um, episode six. I can't believe this is our sixth episode now Travis. I know, we're zooming through them, we're zooming through them but luckily look hey you know it's we've been working hard at it and because it's Easter weekend and all of that sort of stuff we're giving ourselves and our listeners a break. I'm sure yeah, you don't want to be hearing our voices. You know, having a Easter break, break next week. Yay. So yes yeah. we'll be just gorging ourselves on chocolate and recovering <laughs> from that next week which means that we will next um, have our next episode on Tuesday the 13th of April well thanks again Travis and thank you to everyone for joining us we'll um, see you in a couple of weeks see you then have a happy Easter bye